Welcome today to Hope for the Heart. Uh, thank you for joining in and listening. And if you've been listening uh, before and this is uh, your return, then you know that uh, we're in the book of Revelation. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. And uh, again, this day we are in chapter 6. And I'm going to read the context uh, for today. It is found in verses 9 through 11. That's Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And I'll read those verses to us so that we might uh, have an understanding of what we're going to be trying to explain today out of this exciting book. As many of you know, I'm doing a verse-by-verse study through this book, and it is proving to be quite the endeavor. And uh, I pray that you'll uh, pray for this uh, and stay with me as we go, go through this. We have a lot left to cover, and we've already covered a lot, but those... Those messages are all on there, so if you need to go back to any of those, please feel free to do that. So I want to read now verses, uh, chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, verses 9 through 11. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 9, And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been should be completed also. Well, as we look at Revelation chapter 6 tonight, uh, we are going to come face-to-face with a subject that, quite frankly, a lot of people disagree with. They think it's uh, really not biblical, and they think it's wrong, uh, and they disagree with this. I've seen people just really wipe out this section, saying they don't want to teach it because they think that John got it wrong here. I can't imagine saying that. But we come face-to-face with a, a subject, and the subject is God's vengeance. The time of grace is really coming to an end. As far as earth time, there's only a few years left. And now we're in a seven-year period that we call the time of tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble with reference to Israel's role in it. And that's where we are in this. We're looking at chapter 6, which is basically an overview of the whole seven years. I know that's uh, maybe hard to understand, but people want to take chapter 6 and just follow it chronologically from chapter 6 all the way to the end of the judgment, which is chapter 19. But it just it doesn't lay out like that. Chapter 6 is basically a, a, a picture of the whole book. And then we come back in chapter uh, 8 and we begin to put the pieces together of those periods, of that whole period of time. So this seven-year period identified in the book of Daniel as seven years is identified again in the book of Revelation as to uh, half of it being three and a half years or 42 months or 1,260 days. That brief period of time is a time when God unleashes his vengeance, when God unleashes his judgment and his wrath on the earth like never before. Now, there have been past times where God has revealed his, his vengeance, has been poured out, when God's anger has been revealed, and some of those times have even been called the day of the Lord. But this final time, during this period that we're looking at, known as the tribulation period, this greater than any other time before, this is a seven-year period uh, when Jesus Christ not only judges the ungodly, but takes back the earth and the universe for his own possession. 
Now you remember Matthew's gospel. We've been comparing this with Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is recorded to have preached a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount is what it's called, in Matthew chapter 24, in which he discusses this period. And he said this seven-year period will be divided into two halves. We've covered that, but I just for, for those maybe just tuning in or for those who may have not remembered everything I said, <laughs> can't imagine that. But the first half he calls the beginning of birth pains. It's, it's a very vivid term when a child is to be born prior to the birth. There are a series of birth pains. They get increasingly more intense, and they're closer together as you get nearer to the great event of the birth itself. And what our Lord is saying in Matthew 24 is that there's a great event, namely the arrival not of a child, but the arrival of a king, the Son of God. And so the birth that it's picturing here is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so the seven years before that, arrival, the birth pains are going to start to come. And you would not believe the number of people that just can't not seem to get that phraseology correct with this. They seem to think that a hundred years out, perhaps, we have in birth pains. But what we see today may not necessarily be birth pains. I don't think technically they're birth pains until you get into that locked time of the seven-year tribulation period. The problem with giving you that information is this, that at the time of the beginning of the tribulation period, the church, as we've seen it even in this book, Revelation chapter 4, when we're taken up to heaven, the church is already there. And that's saying to us that the church is there before the tribulation actually starts. How did the church get there? The church got there because of the what we refer to as the rapture of the church found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we can see that and then it's even carried into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so the earth is going to feel this pain, this seven years. But the church, those that are listening right now to this message, for example, that are true born-again believers... Well, we're not going to be here when all of this is happening. In fact, I've even had somebody this last week say to me, I don't know why people get so excited about all of this study, because we're not even going to be here. Well, but people do have a tendency to get excited about this, and and that's okay, because it is getting excited about the Word of God and prophecy that is written, even though it's going to happen after we are gone. So the first half of the tribulation is called the beginning of birth pains, according to Matthew 24, 8. The second half is called the Great Tribulation or the Great Time of Trouble, Pressure, and Pain. Now, interestingly, this is found in Luke chapter 21, verse 22, and it it, it divides this time. It says, after the abomination of desolation, which is identified as the midpoint by Daniel chapter 7, which is also mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 24, and again, I hate to throw around all these verses, but I'm just giving you some, some reference points. That's why I'm not going to try to read all of these. So when he calls this particular time the day of vengeance, which Luke 21 does, he's talking about the time after the abomination of desolation, uh, which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. He's talking about namely the beginning of the second half. The fury of God's vengeance really hits following the midway. And this really will be the midpoint. Luke calls those days in the second half the days of vengeance. And so we see that as we look at this seal. We, we, we see, we get the feeling of vengeance. And we get the feeling in, in this whole outline. And so this fifth seal begins 
in the first part, stretches from the midpoint of the tribulation period, is accelerated in the second part and followed by all of this vengeance. Now, I think we begin to see the vengeance or, or the, the, the massacre of people way before the midway, and we'll get into some of that in just a few, mo- in few, just a few moments. But as you've noted in the case of what we've already looked at in chapter 5 uh, and, and into chapter 6, seal number 1, there was a force. You remember what that force was? Well, it was peace. Peace is, is brought out to the earth. And, of course, we think it's very short-lived because seal number two is broken on this scroll in which this title deed to the earth is, is, is being opened by Jesus Christ. But number one is peace. The first seal is broken is peace. The second seal is broken is war. And then the third uh, seal is broken, and that brings famine. And then the fourth seal which we looked at last time, is the ashen horse or the pale green. The horse was pestilence resulting in widespread death. And I think last week I, I got a lot of information, I mean a lot of uh, questions on this, because I named it Killers Sent Out from the Throne. Uh, basically, and those killers are found in verse 8, uh, they were sent out to kill with a sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beast of the earth. And those killers are for the whole purpose of judgment to what the Bible refers to as earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth. And we're even going to take a look at that phrase a little bit later. So this fifth seal is is rarely ever discussed by commentators. I, you, you can just read and read and read, and they just don't discuss this one. I don't know why they want to skip verses 9 through 11, and I don't understand it here, because we're looking at this force, as we're calling it, because I don't have a better word for it, it is vengeance, but behind this vengeance is is prayer. We could almost say that the force is the prayer for vengeance. The vengeance doesn't come in the fifth seal. The prayer does. The vengeance comes throughout the book of Revelation, and particularly at the end of Revelation. And so there's a uh, there is something here to look at as far as the vengeance, and we're going to be, be begin laying that out for you. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time proving this from the scriptures, but God is known as a God of vengeance. Uh, there's just so many scriptures. One, for example, is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, where it says, vengeance is mine and retribution, and it's and found several other times in the book of Deuteronomy. But the psalmist affirms this in, in Psalm 94, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, Render recompense to the proud. And there are a number of, uh, of psalms that include this kind of, of language. For example, Psalm 79. Let there be known among the nations in our sight vengeance for the blood of thy servants which has been shed. And that's just a sampling. I could probably give you 40 or 50 of those, but I won't for the sake of time. But as we get into these verses, uh, verses 9 through 11, I want you to notice just three simple things. It's going to be my outline today. And there is so simple that it's, uh, I think probably dozens of people may have used this in their commentaries. I, I changed it just a little bit from what I thought it ought to be. Because you look at verse 9, 10, 11. That's three verses. Each verse has a point that it's talking about. Verse 9 is talking about the people here in this, referred to in this seal. The people is number one. The number two is the prayer that they pray. And then number three is the promise given to them. So the people is found in verse 9, the prayer is found in verse 10, and the promise given to them is found in verse 11. 
And so we're going to take a look at this, and I want to begin with the people. Let's first look at the people involved. Verse 9 says, And when he broke the, the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And there you have it. We're not given a lot of information here, but yet we are given some information. You see, these are souls, these are people that had died upon the earth. These persons were involved in the time of after the tribula after the rapture of the church. They had been left on earth, but yet they're now in heaven, so that means they came to know Christ. They've been saved. And so they have died, and now they're in heaven. So we, we begin specifically to look at this, and when he broke the fifth seal, remember the, the this is the unrolling of this seal, but these seals uh, represent different parts of uh, the tribulation period. And this one, verse the, the fifth seal, is pretty much um, exemplary of, 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 a, of a destruction of, of a, an event, cataclysmic type of event. But yet it's looking at the whole period of time, and these are people that will be killed, or they're called martyrs. After the false peace, you'll have war, famine, natural pestilence, resulting in widespread death of a quarter of the population of the world, as it says last week in verse 8. And so you have uh, a persecution resulting in martyrdom. martyrdom. And so Matthew 24 fits perfectly with this. I want to go back to that because I want this whole picture to be in your mind. You go to Matthew 24, verse 3, and the question is, what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? I mean, when does all this stuff end? What, what, what's the wrap-up? How is all this going to actually happen? When is sin going to be destroyed? And Jesus says, see to it that no one misleads you. Uh, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and will mislead many. And we said that is really the beginning of delusion. Uh, and uh, a false peace that will be coming. And so we look in, in verse 6 of that, and you'll be hearing of following immediately uh, after that peace, false peace, wars. Uh, and then we see in, in Revelation chapter 6, there's a red horse that goes out signifying a war. And then nation will rise against nation, as Matthew says, a kingdom against kingdom in various places. Following there will be famine, then he adds earthquakes, which could include the natural disasters referred to as pestilence in the book of Revelation. And then he says all of these are the beginning of birth pains. And, and so we see the, the earth is going to be hurting from this. People are going to be hurting from this. We come to verse 9 of Matthew 24. They will deliver you to tribulation. They're going to kill you. So that parallels with Revelation chapter 6. The souls under the altar in the fifth seal are there because they were people on the earth killed during this time. Uh, that's precisely what follows. That follows natural disasters, pestilence, and the fourth of the world's population. You will, and then it says uh, in Matthew chapter 24, you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. So immediately following the fourth seal is coming the fifth one, which is widespread persecution. It is coming down hard on the believers. Now, it's a very interesting thing to look at this. We, we see this talked about in Mark chapter 13. We see it in Luke chapter 21. We see it in Matthew chapter 24. They all talk about this together. But I hope I can make it clear to you that persecution begins in the first half. How do we know that? Because we've already got it started in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 24 and also of Revelation chapter 6. The abomination of desolation comes along in verse 15 of Matthew 24, and Daniel 9.27 says that it happens at midpoint, so you will have, that will be a stimulus to much more persecution. 
It's a certain inevitability that will happen at that time. Persecution will be official. I think uh, after this, the war breaks out and the, uh, uh, the Christians begin to be hated, you're going to see a lot of Christians dying during that time. I think it'll be government-led. You'll be hated by all nations on the account of my name's sake, as Matthew talks about, all over the world. I believe there will be a government-led, religiously-inspired persecution that will happen. I think the courts will get involved in it. The governors will get involved in it. Uh, our president, whoever that will be in this nation, might get involved in it. I think leaders all across the world are going to get involved in it. And I think there will be a wide, worldwide ecumenical religious system to get involved in it. And I think that's indicative of what we read in Revelation chapter 17 when it says the false harlot church will become drunk with the blood of martyrs. Well, all that's happening on earth and suddenly we're looking at verse 9 through 11 in Revelation 6, and these are the ones that were killed on the earth. And that, I think, is, makes it so an amazing kind of passage. I would not want to skip this passage. The persecution reflects worldwide hatred for God and Christ, and it starts even before the Antichrist is revealed. And I was talking to a group of people the other day, I was actually back down in Florida. I'm now living in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And I was back down in Florida the other day, and I was talking to a group of people that were there asking me a lot of questions about the second coming. And I said, the thing about the Antichrist is when he's revealed, he will be revealed not as an Antichrist. That will be his primary focus as far as people will see him as anti-God. But when he comes on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation period, he will be seen as a... As a, as a peacemaker, he'll be seen as a, a world leader who is solving political problems and religious problems even and, and problems all over. He's going to be a very important world power who's first in peace and then he's going to be involved in war trying to consolidate his world power. He really isn't revealed until the abomination of desolation or midway who he really is. And remember, he's not going to be revealed as an antichrist, he's going to be revealed and call himself God. And he's going to demand worship from people as though he were God. And if you want proof of this, you can go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 and following. It even says there, uh, the man of lawlessness has revealed the son of destruction in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he will take his seat in the temple of God, that's the temple in Jerusalem, the Jews' temple, and he will display himself as being God. Imagine that. Imagine what kind of chaos this is going to be. And we, we find that recorded in Matthew chapter 10. I mean, Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. At that time, many will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many, and lawlessness will be increased. Most people's love will grow cold. So up to that point, I believe there will be a certain amount of people in this earth, now listen to this, that are going to attach themselves to Christianity. They're going to begin to hang around churches and hang around what people they think are Christians. That doesn't mean they're going to be saved. I think there's going to be a lot of those people. And perhaps as the world gets worse and worse with the war, the famine, and the pestilence, the pestilence, I think a lot more people are going to turn to churches because they're going to want to know what in the world is going on. And so I think they're going to 
be conversations occurring early on in this period, and we'll mention some of those in a moment. But people will be saved, and people will attach themselves to that. They won't be Christians. But when the persecution really begins to heat up, I think those people that had it attached are going to fall away. Christians aren't going to fall away. Those being uh, those attached and perhaps even thinking they're Christians are going to fall away because it's gotten too hot for persecution. They're going to run from it. They're going to become cold in their love towards the Lord. They're going to show themselves to be false. They will defect as false believers. So Matthew chapter uh, 24, verse 13, he says, The ones who endure to the end will be saved. Those who are the true believers will be saved. And that's who we have here in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, who are now at the throne, gathered around, and uh, we see them in heaven. We see them at the foot of the throne. And so that is a, a really an amazing time to see. And I realize if I don't get through with this, then I just won't get through with it. And we'll have to just move further. But I want you to notice just a few uh, simple things, uh, or specific things as I call them, about verses 9 through 11. Look at verse 9. I saw underneath the altar. uh, We don't have much to say about that altar. And uh, I know I've talked this before. People say, how come you don't give much about the altar? Because it doesn't give us anything. I don't know much about this altar except to say that it, it is an altar. And it is in heaven. We're not looking at anything on earth. We're looking at something in heaven. And so that is all that it gives us here. But now note, as it says this, I saw underneath that altar souls of those who have been slain. Now, these people have not yet received their bodies. These are people that have died. They have not yet received bodies. These are souls. They're just souls because their bodily resurrection has not happened yet. Remember, even... Uh, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, we're not floating spirits uh, without a body. So there is something there. We don't even know what that is. It's It's something to house that soul, and it's a temporary until the bodily resurrection, and it will occur occur in a future time, not long from when this is. Uh, In the Old Testament, saints will join them with the tribulation saints, uh, and it will be at the second coming of Christ. So they are souls that are there. They're under the altar, and they're praying. These souls, now, now notice something about these souls. So these are people. Uh, we're looking at in the outline. Number one, we're still on people. Verse 9, these are people who have died. They're martyrs. But notice they can remember. Notice they're talking. Uh, there's several things about this we can gather about our bodies in heaven and our, our, our life in heaven. They remember some things on earth. They're asking God for something, so they're still praying. And so it becomes a very important information for us to see this. Uh, they're, they're, they're souls there, they're under the altar, and they're praying. They've been slaughtered in the persecution and the hostility of a, of a satanic, antichrist-led world attack on believers, and it's taken a toll of them in one sense. And so here they are, and we get a picture of them, seeing them underneath the altar, and we see where they are. They're in heaven. We see uh, why they're there. They've been martyred. And the question hits us is, why were they slain? Why are they killed? And then it even says that. It gives us that in verse 9. Uh, we see the souls of those who have been slain. And that word slain there means brutally murdered or, 
are 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 savagely killed, and it's the word used in in uh, in to describe two beasts, where one beast or like a bear ripping apart a smaller animal, and that's the picture of the slain here. These martyrs have been slain, but look at what it says: because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Now we've seen that same phrase over and over again. It could be rightly interpreted as this is the beginning of the birth pains happening, and we see that these people have been martyred for two reasons, uh, the, the, their witness, their testimony, and the Word of God. And remember, they're living in a world, or they're coming out of the tribulation period that hates Christians. They hate the truth. And so they have been obviously speaking about this and sharing this with people, and that's why the world has come against them. Now, we're going to find this again in Revelation chapter 11 with the killing of two witnesses. We're going to see just how violent they can get towards this in the killing of those two witnesses, and they let their bodies lay in the, in the uh, streets for, for three days, and then life comes back to them, and, of course, it scares them. Um, to death, which would scare anybody. But notice it's also because of the Word of God and the testimony which they maintain as well. But they're, it, they're killed to silence them. And I believe that's actually what's happening here. The, the, the Word of God is, is being used in their testimony, and their testimony is being used, and so the world is wanting to silence them. And we, we see this common phrase uh, uh, because of, and we found it in Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his bondservants who bore witness, speaking of John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus. Same phraseology used here in, in verse 9 of chapter 1, the same thing, word of God and the testimony of Jesus, the same thing here in chapter 6. And so we find this same phraseology that is used, and that's why they're there. The world has set out to kill them. Now, I want you to notice the second thing. I'm going to try to get through this. It's found in verse 10. And it's, number one is the people, verse 9. Number two are the prayers, at verse 10. Notice what they pray, and they cried out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This is their petition. This is what they're coming to the Lord with. How long, O Lord? It's an amazing thing that the prayer plays a vital role in the final judgment. Prayer, then, it would be like a force. The prayer here is praying for vengeance. Well, what brings about the vengeance? Prayer, isn't that amazing? I think most of us would assume that the prayer doesn't have much effect, but prayer is one of the, uh, one of the seals that brings about the vengeance. Prayer is really the force influencing this, this massacre here. Uh, don't, us, don't ever underestimate the importance of prayer. Prayer moves God's judgment here, and we see that here. So this intercession is the fifth seal. It activates a torture that comes uh, in, in the sixth seal, the seventh seal, and we're going to take a look at those next week. But it says they cry out. It's a word that means urgency. They, their, their fervency is a very strong word when it says he saw they, these, they cry out with a loud voice. Uh, they're really exercise, they're impassioned, they're crying out, uh, and they're asking how long, and, and, and the word here, when it says holy and true, is really another word that can mean master or sovereign ruler. It's the stronger word for, for the Lord, and it holds the thought of might and power and majesty and authority. How long holy and true means you've got to deal with this sin. You see, these prayers are not personal vendettas. That's that's what I wanted to get across. It's not personal vendettas. 
for personal revenge. Their holy desire, because they're in heaven and they, they are now purified from that, their holy desire is for the destruction of Satan. Their holy desire is for the devastation of the Antichrist and the false prophet and all who followed him. Iniquity has reached its height in the slaughter. And so how long until you avenge our blood, this phrase, those who dwell on the earth, becomes a phrase throughout this book. And and here's what I want to say about that. It's a technical term for the unregenerate pagans throughout the book of Revelation. It's found, and I could give you numbers of places, but you'll see it as we go through. Whenever you see the little phrase, those who dwell on the earth, it means the ungodly. How long are you going to avenge our blood? And what do they mean by that? How long until you're going to kill them? How long until you kill the killers? Is really what they're crying out. And so they become known as earth dwellers. But remember, anytime you see this, those who dwell on the earth, it's referring to unbelievers or the ungodly. And then number three in this outline is found in verse 11. Number one is the people, verse 9. Number two are the prayers uh, that they pray in verse 10, all under the altar. And then verse 3 is a promise. Now, this third component of the seal is promise. And this promise here, there's two things. There's a gift from God and a word from God. There's a gift from God and a word from God. The first, the gift. The gift is, and you see this following right here, they each are given to each of them a white robe. And they told that they should rest a little while longer. So the, the word, the first thing is the gift. They're, what does a white, white robe mean? Well, you say, well, uh, white we know is representing purity. It's a robe uh, that this actually can be termed a dazzling white robe of dignity and honor. It, uh, it reaches to the ground. And we, we've looked at this in Revelation chapter 1. And when it tells us the Lord gave them honor and dignity and righteous and purity to clothe them, their souls are pure and righteous. As soon as they arrive, I believe they had that. And remember now, this is not just a completed picture here. These people are still coming in. The, the, the earth is still experiencing the martyrs, the, this killing this happening all the way through till the Christ comes back. By the way, they're arriving all, literally all the time here. Uh, more of them are accumulating under the altar, and more and more and more of them as they're being killed and they arrive. And, and remember now, the, the, the word that he gives them after the, the, the gift is this. It says in verse 11, <clears throat> and they're, <clears throat> excuse me, they were, they're told that they should rest a little while longer. Now catch this, the wording here until the number of their fellow servants, in other words, more believers, and their, their brethren, who were yet to be killed. So there's more, and God sees this, and he's telling them this, that many others are going to be killed, and we have to wait for all of them should be completed. So there is a certain number of those people, there are certain ones that are, going to be experiencing the same kind of death that they have experienced. Now, you might say, well, God knows they're going to be murdered. Why doesn't he stop it? Well, you know, we, we can't answer that question. You can always present a hypothetical or a question. I can't answer that question. Uh, I do know that these people were not even saved during the rapture or they would have been taken out. They are saved after the rapture and they're used for a testimony and a condemnation to those who are the ungodly. And so uh, why this happens like this and the burning of this is most extraordinary to me and to see this like this. 
And then it says, uh, she'll be killed even as they had been killed, should be completed also. Then it will be over. And I think that goes all the way to the very end of the tribulation period, and then Christ will come back. You know, it's an amazing thing to look at this. It's, it's, it's a topic and a subject that probably a lot of people don't want to look at. In fact, you can't look at this without a sense of, of hurt and agony, even on the inside. As you, as you can't even picture what's happening on the earth. But the earth is going to experience a tremendous amount of pain. And the, the earth is not going to be fixed by... Uh, your globalists, they're not going to be fixed by your climate change people. They're not going to be fixed by a Green New Deal. They're not going to be fixed by solar energy. Uh, none of this. It's all going to be... In fact, these people, wait till they see what God's going to do to the climate. Wait till they see what God's going to do to the earth. Uh, and, and, and then on top of that, as we looked at last week, one-fourth of the world's population are going to die during this time. That is incredible, not to mention the daily dozens or hundreds of people that are going to die during every day of this seven-year period. And so it's a time for us to look at this and see this as prophecy. It is certain. It is going to happen. And it is a very real thing to look at this. And so I want to just close with this for now. This is William Rogers, and you've been listening to Hope for the Heart. And I really pray that you'll join us next time for Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. And we're going to see a, a look at, the, uh, at, at when the world actually sees Christ in heaven. In fact, I have actually done this message before, and I'm calling it, and I will probably call it again, the greatest prayer meeting ever. Except this prayer meeting, they're not praying to Jesus. And it's going to happen on the earth. In fact, it looks like it's going to encompass every single earth dweller on the earth are going to be praying. So tune in next week and you'll see who they pray to and just what we're going to see next week. So again, thank you so much for joining uh, Hope for the Heart today. I certainly hope you're enjoying these messages. And uh, we look forward to next time when we will uh, uh, meet again and we will look at chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Thank you.